turn to Philippians and chapter number 4. Philippians and chapter number 4. Now we've been uh, in the book now for some time. We're now in the last chapter. And uh, we've been dealing with, of course, this idea that I may know Him. A lot of people think that the book of Philippians is about joy and rejoicing. But really the primary focus of the book of Philippians is to get our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ and to be like Him. And as we get our eyes on the Lord and as we strive to be like Him, joy is a natural outflow of that. Galatians 5 would call it the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, right? When Christ rules and reigns on the throne of your heart, the natural outflow of that uh, is joy. And so instead of being in pursuit of joy... We need to be in pursuit of Jesus and then experience joy as a byproduct uh, of that pursuit. And so that's really been what our journey has been in the book of Philippians. So it's a wonderful chapter. I'm excited to dig into it here this evening. And so if you found your place there in Philippians chapter 4 and you're able to, let's stand together to honor uh, the reading of God's word. Philippians chapter number 4. Now we're just dealing with one verse here tonight, but for context, which matters, uh, we're going to start reading in verse number 1 of Philippians in chapter number 4. Therefore, because this isn't an isolation, there's been a lot of stuff that's come before this. He says, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. Why would somebody say it that much? Because you tell your kids you love them before you give them a spanking. Okay, so Paul's here. He's just telling, hey, I really, really love you guys. But, okay, verse number two, I beseech Eodius and beseech Sintichi that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labor with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. And we'll deal with those verses, just kind of review here in a moment. So verse number four is our text for tonight, which is this, rejoice in in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. So the title of the sermon here tonight is Rejoice. Read that again. Rejoice. Because that's exactly what Paul says. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'm going to say it again, all right? Rejoice in the Lord, right? So tonight let's talk about this idea of rejoicing in the Lord. May the Lord bless the His word. You can be seated. Thank you for standing in honor of the scriptures. Now follow um, the logic here. A lack of joy produces all kinds of problems. When there is a lack of joy in a person's life, from that then comes all sorts of issues and problems, not only maybe in their personal life, but in their relationships, in their church life, in their work life, in every area, we say it this way, it touches everything. So when joy is absent from a person's life, they then start to have some unintended consequences because of that. And so, oh boy, we can start drawing all kinds of illustrations about this. A joyless mother, right? Think about a home with a mother that has just had her joy sapped from her 
And what normally would be a house full of laughter and singing and joy is now uh, melancholy and gray and dull. And the kids do something and she is quick and sharp with them instead of gracious and patient. Okay, you get the picture here? When there's a lack of joy, it then overflows into the relationships with her children. It overflows into the relationships with her husband. So that then everything he does is like, gee, right? There's a lack of joy. And so now, because there's no joy there, there are culprits that are joy stealers. Unfortunately, usually the wrong things get identified as joy stealers. If you want to look at real joy stealers, all you have to do is look at chapter 2, where he goes in and he talks about all the things that steal people's joy. Right? But we start to look at other things. Well, I don't have joy because of this and because of this. It affects church life. Instead of at church being a person who is ready and able to be a blessing, you come expecting to receive a blessing. And because of that, you can become sour and discontented and, and bickering and evil and vindictive towards people. It absolutely happens. We say, well, why is this a big deal? Well, because it happened at the church at Philippi. Apparently, there was a couple ladies that lost their joy, and it caused a conflict. It caused a problem. And so, just for kind of way of thinking, getting our mind into this, uh, Paul, of course, starts chapter 4, and he goes, Therefore, as a reminder that there's been three chapters that's come before. Now, the three chapters that have come before, every single one of the chapters have dealt with this idea, at least in part, of unity by having the mind of Christ. Now again, the central theme of the book of that of Philippians is this, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable unto his death. That, that is the whole position of the book. And so Paul is very interested in these people doing this abandoning their own way of thinking and abandoning their own priorities for that of Christ's way of thinking and Christ's priorities. Now, that's not unique to the church at Philippi. That's good for Bible Baptist Church Bridgeport. God wants us as individuals and God wants us collectively as a church to start to lay aside our preconceived ideas about what we think life should be like and what we think ministry ought to be like and what we think that other person ought to be doing and instead take on the mind of Christ. Amen. Which in Philippians 2 looks like this. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but humbled himself. Made himself of no reputation. Took upon the form of a servant. I'm telling you, Jesus stepped way down to become a man and then stepped down even further to become a servant of men and stepped down even further to become the sacrifice for the sins of mankind. He died even the death of the cross. I mean, and then we have the audacity to say, I, I can't do that, that's below me. I can't love that person. Do you know what they did? And Christ gives us this beautiful illustration that the mind that he had ought to reign supreme in our lives, which is this. We need to lay aside our way of thinking and our way of uh, picturing how life should be in favor of how Christ says it should be. 
Now, when that happens and you have a whole church, Bible Baptist Church in Bridgeport, you got a whole church that has this mentality, not my way, his way. You, you got a whole church that's thinking this, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering. When you got a whole church that's thinking that way, what is a byproduct of that? Unity. And it's in chapter 1, it's in chapter 2, and it's in chapter 3. This idea of unity. That Paul says, if you will simply do this, then you will experience some tight-knit, wonderful unity. Well, why does he keep bringing that up in chapter 1, and in chapter 2, and in chapter 3? Because therefore in chapter 4. And of course, he lays it on pretty thick in verse 1. Dearly beloved, little children, right? John would say it that way. It's kind of one of those things, I'm going to let you know how much I love you up front because I'm about to start naming some names. Now, that would have been an awesome service to be a part of. Could you imagine? <laughs> hey, guys, we got a letter from, from Paul. We'll read it. Read it. And the whole church gets together and they start reading the letter. And they get towards the end of the letter. And there's two ladies sitting in the pew who start to do this. I mean, could you imagine sitting in a service here and, and like having names called out from the pulpit? That's tempting, isn't it? It really is. Okay. But he starts naming names and he's, he's simply saying this. God wants you to be in unity, but right now there's disunity. And that's because there's a couple individuals who have abandoned the mind of Christ and instead have the mind of man, which is my way or the highway. What I want, what I'm feeling reigns supreme. And because of that, there now has been this rift or this faction within the church. The two ladies, Eodius and Syntyche, we talked about it last week. We say, well, what's the conflict? I don't know. In my heart of hearts, I know it has to do with the nursery. <laughs> I can't prove that scripturally, but just having been a pastor for a length of time, I understand that's where some conflicts can happen. Amen. I don't know why. Uh, it could be also that these are younger mothers and maybe their kids got into a, a, a trifle with one another and now that has overflowed to the parents. That happens. Do you know what Susie did to Billy? No. It's bad. And now Iotis and Sintichi are mad at each other because names like Iotis and Sintichi would have children named like Billy and Susie. <laughs> and so Iotis and Sintichi, though, here, here's the thing. In all honesty, though, these two individuals have, some, for some reason, they're buttonheads. There's conflict. Now, Paul is very concerned because the conflict has now boiled over, apparently, because this is a church-addressed letter, and he says all the church needs to deal with this problem in verse number 3. So apparently, Iodius and Sintichi, their conflict has now spilled over and has now become a church problem. Can that happen? Two people's argument boil over to becoming a church argument? Oh, absolutely. That's pretty much how most of them start. That there's an individual whose feathers get ruffled because of this other individual, and then this person's mad at this person. And so this person starts going over and saying, do you know what so-and-so did? He walked in late to the service. That's what happened. <laughs> hey, Brother Kyle. Sorry, Brother Kyle. I, we're naming names tonight, aren't we? Amen. Okay, I'm just kidding. Anyway, so you come over and say, can you believe what such and such did? And then this person's over here, can you believe what this person... And, and before long, it boils over. 
And so you have this major conflict. And so apparently, I don't know who Clement is, but apparently she knew these two ladies in somewhat of a mediator faction in this thing. Because uh, Paul calls her out by name and says, y'all need to help Clement out solve this problem. And the whole church needs to get involved in this thing. Because if you're not careful, here's, here's the big concern that Paul has. If you're not careful, the quarrel within the church between these two ladies will defame the name of Christ and by extension, defame the gospel. Now that is the major concern in any of these issues. That ought to be a chief concern on our heart. If there becomes a rift or a problem and we're out in the community gossiping about somebody else in the church and there's all this divisiveness and faction, people don't think poorly of the church. They think poorly of the God of this church. And so Paul is very concerned that this conflict between these two ladies, instead of them having the mind of Christ, they have the mind of man in their selfishness is defaming the cross of Christ. And he says, we're not going to deal with this. And so, dearly beloved, I beseech you, I'm begging you, you need to deal with this problem. So here what follows is several verses where it deals with this conflict resolution. Remedies for conflict. Why? Because conflicts happen. Let's be honest. If this is happening in almost every single letter that Paul writes in the New Testament, somewhere in the letter there's some type of church split conflict that's going on. Read through the New Testament and you're going to find almost every single letter. Ephesians, Gentiles, Jews, get along. The middle wall partition's been broken down. Right? I mean, you go in every book, there's some group that's not okay with the other group. First Corinthians, they were having a four-way split. Some of y'all are with Paul, some of y'all are with Apollos, some of y'all are with Peter, and other usually just say, well, we're just all about Jesus. And so there's a four-way split going on. So if it was a problem in first century Christianity, don't you know it can be a problem in 21st century Christianity? And let us not be so prideful to think our church has got such beautiful unity that it'll just last forever and we'll dance in the tulip fields and it'll just be wonderful. No, no, no. I understand a church that's thriving and growing like Bible Baptist Church. There's an enemy out there in spiritual warfare that wants nothing else than to tear this place apart. And I'll tell you this. The Bible says the gates of hell will not prevail. So he knows he won't win a full out frontal assault. But if he can get people on the inside bickering and fighting. This place will implode from the inside out. Absolutely. Defame the name of Christ. The gospel being run through the mud. All because of this. Because we can get the attitude. That's not what I want. My way or the highway. They hurt me. Whatever it might be. And instead of having the humility in the mind of Christ. So here Paul says. uh, Let's learn some steps. On how to resolve conflict. So what does that look like for us today? Well, when there's conflict, we can go to Philippians chapter number 4, and there's some beautiful steps on how to help resolve conflicts, remedies for those conflicts. Better yet, most of these things that he's going to give, don't miss this, are preventative measures. It's better to prevent a divisive problem, nip it in the bud, if you will, than it is to let it fester and grow into a root of bitterness that then takes a major overhaul to fix. 
We talked about this uh, in our Sunday school class this Sunday. You know, the Bible describes bitterness as a root, a root of bitterness. And he says, you need to be mindful. You know, like if you go out to your flower garden or a vegetable garden or whatever, and you have some weeds in there, it's pretty easy when that weed starts to first germinate and grow. And that little taproot, you just go, boop. But if you let that thing grow and grow and grow and steal all the nutrients from that garden, it can be some major overhaul. And you pull that weed up and all the soil comes with it. It starts to shroud out all the good stuff. What is it? Well, there was a root and that root took good, deep roots. It grew and grew and grew. And if we're not careful, if we don't deal with things when they're small, they become big and they cause major scars and problems that could have been resolved way, way, way back here. So here's what Paul says. Here's some remedies to conflict. Whether they've been ongoing or whether they haven't even happened yet, here's some things to prevent and solve conflict. Number one is found in Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. What does that have to do with conflict resolution? Here you go. It's hard to be mad at somebody if you're rejoicing in the Lord. Yep. <laughs> okay. It's hard to be mad when you're glad. Oh, that's cheesy, isn't it? But it's true. It's hard to be mad when you're glad. It's hard to be angry at people when you are full of Jesus. Okay, so let's, let's take a look at these verses, just kind of flesh this out and get some understanding of what exactly Paul is talking about here. So he mentions there in verse number four, rejoice in the Lord always. Now, this probably sounds familiar because he mentions this earlier on in the book that we are to rejoice in the Lord in chapter number one. So some of this will be somewhat review. So the word rejoice there uh, literally means charo. It means to be full of cheer, calmly happy, glad, be well, thriving. Now, we've already done this before, but just for sake, because it was in the verse and some of y'all hadn't been here, so we're going to deal with this, okay? There's a huge difference between joy and happiness, okay? Happiness is contingent on what happens to you. Joy is not. It is constant. So happiness, if you think about it this way, happiness happens. So what happens to you makes you... So anybody can be happy. You, you have a big windfall and a bunch of money falls in your lap. I mean, happiness, right? Um, you, you have something go your way uh, medically and you get some good news. Happiness, right? The mountaintops and the low valleys. But then the exact opposite can happen. You can lose money. You can have some bad report from the doctor. Now listen, a lot of people are living their life like this, riding the waves. And they have moments of happiness, and they have moments of great devastation, and, and just down in the dumps, and they go up and down and up and down and up and down. Now here's the wonderful blessing about the Lord Jesus Christ, is He allows us to leave this rat race of up and down and tap into a source that is unchanging, well, what could be unchanging? I mean, things are constantly going up and down. The weather in Texas can't make up its mind. And one day I'm happy about it, and the other day I'm sad, and then I'm happy, and I'm sad, and I'm happy, and I'm sad. Hey, I gotcha. And, th and that happens with everything in life, doesn't it? Every day we have good things and bad things that happen. So what in the world is constant that you can then tap into and focus on 
that would be a constant source. There's only one thing in all of the universe and all of time that is immutable, unchanging, and that is our God. Our God is unchanging. So he simply says this, joy, rejoice in the Lord. Why? Because everything else isn't joy. The only way you can get biblical joy is in Jesus. Jesus equals joy. That's the only way. Why? Because everything else changes. Everything else is up, down, up, down, up, down. But Jesus is immutable, which simply means this. You can be Paul, and you can be like the Philippian jailer that beat him almost to death, and then he's shackled in prison. And you know what they're doing at midnight? They're singing hymns. And everybody is thinking, these guys have lost their ever-loving minds. Why? Because who gets beaten to a pulp, I mean, is bloody and almost dead, shackled in an uncomfortable, damp, dirty, nasty prison, and is sitting there going, Oh, rejoice in the Lord. He makes no mistakes. Right? The joy of the Lord. Right? I don't know. He's just sitting there singing these hymns and these songs. And the Philippian jailer, of course, is hearing this and seeing the power of God as he releases them, and he gets saved. Amen. Yeah, it's amazing. Now, listen, we could go to a lot of examples in the Scripture, and you know you look at individuals like that and you go, what is that? i tell you exactly what that is. It's called joy. Joy means regardless of what's going on over there with the waves going up and down, you can tap into something where you can say this, I might not be happy right now, but I've got something better called joy. So I will rejoice in the only thing that can provide joy, which is this, in the Lord. Not in your circumstances, not in the report you get from your doctor. Hey, if I can encourage you, church, this week, take some time and get your eyes off of your circumstances and divert your eyes once again to the loveliness and the goodness of Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, with time change, uh, things have been kind of busy lately, and with time change, it afforded me an extra hour. My wife's not in here, so I said I gained an hour. She would say I lost an hour, but don't tell her I said that. Anyways, I gained an hour. So here I am at the church. And I came over same time I normally do, which was an hour earlier. I didn't take it to sleep. I kind of did it up here at the church. So I'm up here at the church, and I have that extra time. I hadn't got to do this in a while. I, I used to do it all the time and just hadn't really had time. I've got an older hymnal in my office, and uh, it's got a lot of good worship songs in it and good old, like, 17, 1800 hymns that are just not in the All-American. Nothing wrong with the All-American, but there's just a lot of great old hymns that aren't in there. Good worship songs. So I'm over here and I'm kind of pacing back and forth across the front of the, the auditorium here and just singing these songs one after the other. And I, I'll just be honest with you, uh, over time I started to realize this as I'm singing these songs. Nobody here, just kind of me and the Lord, just worshiping the Lord, singing these songs. And I started to recognize this as I was singing them. My heart's gotten a little callous. I didn't even realize it. I started singing these songs, just private worship time there, and just recognizing this. Man, my God is so awesome. Amen. My God is so great. 
my God truly is wonderful and loving and gracious, and He is a consuming fire, and all the greatness of our God just singing in these old wonderful hymns. And as I'm singing through them, man, God just begins to work on my heart. And recognize this, God helped me start diverting my eyes off of my circumstances and started looking at the goodness and the glory and the wonder of my God. And I'm telling you, that is necessary for believers. Amen. We need that. Amen. Now listen, I don't know what that might look like for you, if it might be singing some hymns like that, or maybe putting a CD of a, of a good group that you can listen to some good gospel music, or it might be uh, opening up the scriptures and just reading through some of the Psalms, or, or just reading through the gospels again. I, I don't know what it is for you. Maybe just getting on your knees and spending some dedicated, quiet, silent time of prayer. But you need some consistent times where you can do this. Hit the reset button and get your mind off the muck and mire and destructiveness of this world and get it back on the loveliness and the goodness of our God. When's the last time you rejoiced in the Lord? Yeah, amen. You need that. We need that as a church. Always. Isn't that what he says? Amen. I didn't say he said it. Okay. Which kind of has this idea. It can be a perpetual state in your life. That's a comforting thought. Which simply means this. There is a position where God not only uh, can take you, but wants to take you where you're not in happiness mode, but you can be in joy mode all the time. Always. Like, you mean when I get the bad news from the doctor? Yeah, even then. You mean when I lose my job? Yeah, even then. You mean when that person at church says that thing that was not very polite, not very kind, and not very gracious? Yeah, even then. You can, you can have joy in the Lord. Now, here's the wonderful blessing about that. Those who are totally enamored with their God and are just rejoicing in the Lord, here's the blessing. When other petty things come up, I'm going to call them petty but I know they can be big for us. You know what a big problem is? A big problem is when it happens to you, right? Somebody else's problem is not that big, but when it's your problem, it's a big problem. So say this. I would call it petty, though, because everything that is not this, God, really, in comparison, is quite petty. Now, I don't know what was going on with Eodius and Sidichi, but here's basically what Paul says. Get your eyes off the problem and get your eyes back on Jesus where they should be. Amen. Because if your eyes were here and you were rejoicing in the Lord, whatever Eodius did or whatever Sintichi did wouldn't have bent you out of shape the way it did. So obviously you weren't rejoicing in the Lord. You were being driven by your circumstances, living in a realm of happiness that God never intended believers to live in. Now, my interest tonight as a pastor is not in Eodius and Sintichi, it's in you. Are you living in your current circumstances or are you living in the realm of joy? Because I'll just be transparent here. If that bends you out of shape that that person cut you off in traffic today, that doesn't feel nice. If we go to Dallas, that'll test your spirituality right there. Well, I'll say this. When I'm in the flesh... It's easy for me to get irritated yes. and short and quick-tempered about the most minuscule, dumb things. It just set me off, boom, just like that. 
But I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, when I am focusing on the Lord, I'll be honest with you, if I'm driving in Dallas and I'm just, and I'm just enjoying my day with Jesus and someone cuts me off, I go, whoop, they're in a hurry. Oh, rejoice in the Lord. Let's go right on with it. I'm being honest with you. It, it really isn't that big of a deal. But if I'm in the flesh and they do it, I'm like, what is their problem? I would never say that, but I'm thinking it in my mind, you know. I'm like, there's no person so mad. And then I'm like, I've got to pay them back. And they're over there just ignorant, not even paying attention, you know. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to tell you what I, you know. Okay. I'm just being transparent here tonight. You know how that feeling that you get? And then you get to that point, man, the rest of your day you're thinking, I can't believe that person cut me off. You get home and you can't wait to tell your spouse about it. Can you believe I was in Dallas and I was having such a wonderful day? I was just walking with Jesus and then they cut me off and ruined the whole day. And think about it. Is your spirituality so deep that that little action could rip away your time with the Lord? Honestly, were you really walking with the Lord if that's what did it? But here's what I'm saying. It can be such minuscule things. Well, I just woke up on the wrong side of the bed. My wife did this. My kids did this. My wife's this. My... If the, you find yourself more consistently in that realm, honestly, you need to ask your question. Are you trying to find joy in those things? Because if you are, you'll never find it because they do this. And you do this. There's only one thing that doesn't change, and that's Jesus Christ. So if you'll get your eyes off those things trying to find contentment and joy in things that never can provide it, and you'll get it on Jesus, I'm telling you right now, it'll solve a lot of conflicts. You find you, as a, you and your spouse constantly conflicting with one another? How's your relationship with Jesus? They're just being transparent again. Don't get mad at me. Just giving the message here. Let's say this. If you find yourself constantly being just <clears throat> at your spouse, maybe it's not their problem. Maybe it's your problem. That you're not where you need. But they did this. Hey, that probably wasn't the right thing to do. But it shouldn't ruin your day like that. Amen. Because I've known some people that had some despots. I'm talking about trashy, the worst kind of spouse you could ever think of. And they walked with the Lord and had joy in their life. Yeah. It has nothing to do with your circumstances. It has everything to do with where your perspective is. Good. Rejoice in the Lord. Now... Paul then says this, again. You know why he says that? Because people weren't listening. <laughs> again, I say, rejoice in the Lord. Hey, I, this is so important, Paul says, I'm going to say it twice. Yeah, but they did. No, 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 rejoice in the Lord. Yeah, but you don't know where my... Again, I say, rejoice in the Lord. Yeah, but Iodias did this. Rejoice in the Lord. You want to solve the conflict? You want to have joy in your life? Then rejoice in the Lord. Amen. That's the first step in conflict resolution for Paul here. He says this, if you want to solve problems, get your eyes off your circumstances and get them on the Lord. Psalm 16 verse 11 says this, Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. That sounds pretty good. And it's true. It absolutely is so much the case. The Bible says here that we are to rejoice in the Lord always. That's said again in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Rejoice evermore. Do you believe God? you believe His Word? Well, according to the Scriptures, here's the thing. You can have joy always. 
or else he wouldn't have said it. Amen. He said, well, you don't know my circumstance. I don't have to. I know the God of this book, and I know if he recorded it in Scripture, you can take it to the bank. Amen. And he simply says this, you can take the initiative and rejoice in the Lord, and you can do it always. Amen. So I'm going to say it again. Rejoice in the Lord. Let's all stand together as we come to a time of invitation here tonight.